Are you, are you ready to open the word today? First Timothy. Guess what? These are the last two verses. But, you know, we've kind of gone into the summer and through there's been like hits and misses and things like that. I don't know if you realize it or not, but we've preached verse by verse through this whole book. And it's like, oh, really? Um, and most of it you could actually go back and listen to, but um, I don't know. Sometimes you get kind of toward the end and I think, Lord, there's something that's really not happening that I thought would happen. But the Word of God is always alive and powerful and has an effect. There's a lot of learning and teaching and things that's happened. But um, today, we're going to look at the last two verses. So turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6, uh, verse 20 and 21. We're gonna, we're gonna, he's going to kind of close out reminding us that there is a treasure worth guarding or protecting, okay? All right, I'm just going to read these last two verses. And I want us to really think about all the truth and everything because he's written this to the church to show us how we ought to conduct ourselves in the household and the family of God. There's been a lot of instruction, a lot of, of, of complicated things because we realized Timothy was actually a pastor that had been left to pastor the church in Ephesus and they were already having problems. There was already false teaching. There were cultural issues that were a little different than ours, but still they apply to us. Uh, you know, learning roles, responsibilities, relationships, all this stuff he's talked about all the way through this. And now we come to the last two verses and here's what he says. Are you ready? Okay, he says, O Timothy, guard what was committed to your trust. Avoid profane and idle babblings and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. By professing it, some have strayed concerning the faith. Grace, this is a powerful little statement right here, don't just miss it. Grace be with you. Amen. And amen. Let's pray again. Father, help us, Lord, to just learn from what you were teaching Timothy all the way down to us and apply it to our lives and respond to it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, imagine that you were given, like, the most important, valuable treasure, okay? Imagine that someone gave you a treasure that was, you know, say that for you to guard this treasure, our national security was at stake, right? I mean, something that important that you would protect it with your life. Now, there have been people down through history. I tried to find, like, the perfect illustration or story, and I couldn't find any that really sounded real or good. But anyway, so just use your own imagination there, right? You fill it in. But let's say that, that that's the case. And you're, you're, the whole, everybody else, they don't realize it. People out there don't know it, but their, their security, their safety... Their future depends on you guarding that treasure. But you know what? That is kind of the case with you if you have the gospel. You've got a treasure that is beyond anything in this world that, that, that comes from this world. This comes from God into, this, into us, into our world. And we have this treasure. It's the truth of God, the truth, not a truth. The truth that transforms lives. The truth about God. The truth about the universe. The truth about you. The truth about salvation. Truth about life. Truth about heaven. All of it. It's all right here. And God moved through human beings, we find out. That as they were moved by the Holy Spirit, carried along by the Holy Spirit, they wrote... 
God even used their own personalities and styles. And we believe that when the word hit the page, it was what God wanted. He superintended the process. We believe in what's called plenary verbal inspiration. We not only believe the Bible, which the Bible itself claims that it is inspired. That literally means God breathed. That even down to the choice of words. That's why a lot of times I look at these words. And while it's true, we may not have the exact papyra that Paul or his Emmanuel wrote on to to copy this down, we have thousands and thousands of copies of it that go back to within a few years of it actually being written that we could compare. And we know that God has sufficiently given us and preserved his word for us today. Okay? Uh, We have it. We have... So if this is the truth, the only truth that will set... Jesus said, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. If this is the only truth that sets people free and this is real and the enemy is real... It's no wonder it's under attack. It's a target like nothing else for Satan. I mean, more than about anything else, he's going to attack the truth of God. It, and, 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 and we're seeing it. And it's no wonder because even in, in Paul and Timothy's day, it was under a lot of attack. And, and, and you know, it's God's truth, which never changes. Because it's true. It can't change if it changed, it would become untrue, so it never changes. See, a lot of stuff in our world is always changing. And I don't care. I'm just going to eat eggs. I don't care whether they're good for you, bad for you, or they don't know. Right? It keeps going back and forth, right? So what's, you know. So a lot of people in our world think truth is relative. Well, what's true for you may not be true for me and vice versa. Right? No. If it's not true for everybody, it's not really true. You know, we have that in the law, in physics, and in mathematics, you know, that we know 2 plus 2 equals 4. It can't be just whatever you feel like it ought to be. It has to be exact. Uh, so, it's God's truth, so it's under attack. And it's no wonder that we hear of people today who are walking away from the truth that they once claimed to believe. You know, that's actually nothing new. Don't, don't even think. Don't, it's not even close to being anything new. Did you hear what Paul said? That to avoid the profane and idle babblings and contradiction of what is falsely called knowledge by professing it, some have strayed concerning the faith. Some have strayed. Some have already wandered away because of believing lies. These were religious people a lot of times. I mean, it's not just people that were leaving the truth of God to going back to to some crazy, just worldly lifestyle. A lot of it was a lot of religious stuff that they were getting sidetracked with. So uh, it's happening during Paul's day, Timothy's day. Uh, Timothy needs to not only be able to proclaim the truth, he needs to be able to do what Paul said here, and that is to guard the truth. Did you see that? Guard what was committed to your trust. All right? So we're going to talk about a treasure worth protecting. The first thing I want to point out here is there's a sense of urgency here. Do I seem urgent? We ought to all be urgent. Feel this urgency that this is something so important that, that and I know that because of the, 
because the Bible's inspired and the way that he says it. There's urgency here. The tone, how do I hear the tone? How do I hear Paul's tone? Because he says, oh, Timothy. And in the original language, it's an omega, but it's set up in such a way that it is literally, let me just, let me just give it to you, all right? You ready for this? It is a primary interjection that is used as a note of exclamation. Exclamation. Interjection. There used to be like one of those Saturday morning interjection. Was it? Come on, let's all sing it together. So, no, I'm kidding. You know, when the feeling's strong, right? Yeah. That's what Paul does here. You got to know a little bit of grammar. See, my teacher told me all this kind of stuff was important, and I, but I found out they were right. Grammar is very important. And uh, it's an exclamation. It's very like, Timothy, hey! This is important stuff. He's, he's, he's shouting a little bit here. It's, you know, all caps, right? It's, it's, it's important. Um, now, we should already treasure the essentials of the faith, shouldn't we? That's what he's talking about here. Shouldn't we already treasure that? Wouldn't you think Timothy would know that? Wouldn't you think that Timothy's already doing that? Yeah, so why does Paul use such strong language to remind him? Listen, it's because stuff that we already know and believe strongly, we need to be reminded. All of us do. It's that important. He commands this. <clears throat> Timothy is already, one of the reasons why, is because Timothy is already surrounded by an abundance of false teachers. How could that be? Because it's in the early days of the church and the gospel, you would think that all these hadn't cropped up yet. But they were right there from the beginning. It's nothing new. Because when you have God's truth, Satan is always going to be about the business of counterfeiting. Okay? And the counterfeit that's the most effective is the counterfeit that just feels and looks to the uneducated like the real thing, or like, you know what, this isn't just a $100 bill, it's like a brand new, crisp, nice one, right? Yeah, yeah. It takes, a, it takes a lot of awareness to spot the phony sometimes. The way that you protect yourself isn't by studying all the false religions, it's by knowing the real truth. And you compare everything to that. And that's the way they do it with money and everything else. So we need the same sense of urgency today because there's probably even more people out there proclaiming that what that they profess to what they're saying, what they're proclaiming. They profess it to be the truth of God, but it's actually a slick counterfeit. So what we're talking about here, when we say about false teaching, what we're talking about are clear departures. This is what it is, clear departures from Scripture, when you depart from what Scripture teaches. That's what we're talking about. <clears throat> we're not talking about differences of styles, methods, or approaches that are not spelled out by Scripture. Sometimes we get more riled up and get more defensive or offensive about things that are adaptable and not spelled out in Scripture, and we fail to notice the real danger of more important things. 
we begin to major on the minors, and then we minor on the majors. Jesus pointed this out about the Pharisees. I mean, they couldn't see the forest for the trees. I mean, they were hung up on some details of things that didn't matter, and they missed the main thing. They even missed the Messiah that they claimed to believe in when he showed up in the flesh. I don't want to be like that. I mean, these guys memorized nearly the whole Old Testament. They knew every little nuance of it, and they all these rules and all this stuff. Jesus said this about them. He said this about the Pharisees, <clears throat> the scribes, the religious leaders. He said in Matthew 23, 24, he called them blind guides. <laughs> you're, you're, you're leading, you're guiding, but you're blind. Mm. Does not work out so well, right? Blind guides, he says, who strain out a net, but swallow a camel. That's funny, Jesus. It's exaggerated. It's like, you know, you think about their milk that they would drink and, and, and stuff like that. Probably goat's milk, who knows, but, you know. Anyway, but, you know, that they strain it, there's a gnat in there, but they would swallow. Or maybe it was camel's milk. You know, I've heard people, hey, uh, Maddie, did you try any camel's milk? Well, you, I mean, you were gone. I figured, you know, you ate stuff. Oh, mare's milk. Okay, that's getting mighty close right there. Fermented at that. Does that mean like mare yogurt? Okay, all right, well, all right, so anyway, you know, uh, you might strain a little gnat out of that, but then swallow the whole mare. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's kind of make you chuckle. See, Jesus had a sense of humor. I told somebody that one time, they told me there was, because I joked around too much when I was preaching, when I was just like a teenager still, and they said, well, I assure you there's nothing funny about Jesus. <laughs> and Yeah, okay. Anyway, uh, but this is what he said. You, 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 like, you strain out these little bitty details, and then you swallow camp. You miss the big stuff. And that's what we do today. And, and so it's urgent that we, we, we understand the treasure that we're to guard and what it is. It's urgent because it doesn't do us any good to try to fluff it up or water down God's truth to make it seem more palatable to the world. It does them no good. What you end up with when you do that is less than God's truth. Now, there's a difference between watering it down and simplifying. You know, Jesus simplified things. I mean, he spoke in such simple terms. He said just like, like even the Sermon on the Mount, you can read it in a few minutes, but it, it, it took me like eight months to preach through it, right? It's so simple, yet it's so deep. We need to be simple, but not water anything down. Because when you water down, you end up with less than God's truth. You end up with a messed up understanding. That's what a lot of people have, a messed up understanding of God's holiness and God's grace. They end up with a crippled understanding of his salvation. They end up in bondage because whatever is not of the truth is a lie. As good as it may sound. And as similar as it may sound. But here's our problem. Are you still with me? We have a natural tendency, we human beings, to make the gospel more about us than it is about him. Now, it involves us, believe me. That, I mean, us, <laughs> people, you know, we, I should say. But since I already said us, I'm just going to use the, the, uh, the Wright County hillbilly way of saying it. Usins. You ever heard that before? Usins? How many have ever heard someone say that? 
Okay, Curtis, you actually are the one that I heard say it. Okay, he raised his hand. <laughs> you know, we're talking about, well, usins, you know, usins, that's all of us, pure, weans, ewans, okay, right? So, all of usins, we've got this tendency to take, to make it all about us than about him. Now, it involves us, but it is about him. It's about his glory. And we want it to just be something that's about what we want and what we like and what makes sense to us. But a lot of what God does because he's God and so high and so awesome doesn't always make sense to me. Okay? It's not always logical. David Platt says that we've often mistaken the American dream for the kingdom of God. We equate the two. We make it sound like faith in Christ is equal to the good life with a three-bedroom home, two-car garage, and picket fence. We almost try to make the two things equal. And that's not the way it is. And too often, in a lot of, in America, and, and, and even other places, the pursuit of happiness. There's nothing wrong with being happy. But happiness has to do with happenstance. Joy has to do with the fruit of the Spirit, Right? The pursuit of happiness has overtaken the practice of holiness. Ooh! Pursuit of happiness. What, what's my main thing? Huh? you got to ask yourself that. Pursuit of happiness or practice of holiness? Claiming success. How to be the most successful you you can be. Claiming success gets more pulpit time than confessing sin. Serious study of Scripture has been supplanted by sensational emotionalism. People today are starving for the truth. I think they know, they, they desire something, they don't know what, but it's the only thing that will really satisfy. That means it's urgent, folks. All right. So, what he says is to guard the treasure. Guard the deposit. Did you see that? Guard what was committed to your trust. The word, that which was committed to your trust, is actually one word in the Greek. And it refers to a deposit that is committed to trust, a sacred deposit. The life-saving, soul-saving truths of our faith are indeed a sacred trust. That's what he's talking about. You need to guard that. You need to protect that deposit, that treasure. The word here used here means not only to keep it and hold it close, but to protect it with everything. What is he to guard? What is it? Well... God's truth, the gospel, right? That's what he's to guard. That's what he's to protect. It was committed to Timothy, but it was committed to Paul by God as God singled him out as an apostle and as he was personally called by Christ and as Jesus personally revealed many of the truths of salvation by grace to Paul that he was the one that he chose to go out and to actually teach that and to be the one that he inspired, through whom he inspired the writing down of it. In the New Testament, Paul says it this way. In the beginning of this study, you might remember, we read this verse, 1 Timothy 1.11. He says, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was what? Committed to my trust. Talking about the same type of thing there. And then in 2 Timothy, he comes back to this, and he tells Timothy this in 2 Timothy chapter 2. He says, you therefore, my son... Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you have heard that you received from me among many witnesses. In other words, they came from me. And he already has told us that 
that they were given to me by God, committed unto me, and I'm committed to you. And it's not just you and me. So you can say, well, Paul said this. There were many witnesses so that they could judge before it was written down, right? Among many witnesses, he said, these things that you've learned from me, they were committed to me, I've given to you. Now, he says, you commit these to faithful men who will also be able to teach others. That's what we're to do. It's been committed. So he's talking about the truths of the gospel that have been committed to me. I'm committing them to you. And then you commit them to others who then that they can do others and then others and to others until it's come all the way down to you and I. It's that same treasure. It's that same thing that he's talking about here that we have today. And he says to guard that. He's telling us the same thing. But then he says one of the ways that we do that is by avoiding things. Now, he's already told them, you remember a couple of weeks ago, last week I think it was, that we're to flee certain things, um, that we're to flee these things. That was at verse 11. Um, He reinforces it by telling Timothy that one of the ways that you guard the truth is by avoiding or turning away from false and useless teaching. You turn away. From false and useless teaching. What are those teachings? They are, he calls them profane. Right here in in this translation, he says, it's it's rendered profane and idle babblings. (laughs) That the the false teaching, the false doctrine, it's got to be avoided like it's the plague. Now, the word profane, other translations translate it worldly, godless, or irreverent. It's really a word that um, that's used to describe anything that's outside the sacred grounds of a temple. So any, and it came to describe anything outside the realm of God's truth, anything that wasn't holy, okay, that's profane, anything that's not of God, not holy. And not only are they <clears throat> profane, they're also empty. They're empty noises, they're empty sounds. In the end, they just, they're teaching, he says in the end, It may seem so powerful and influential. In the end, it's just so much empty chatter. (laughs) That's all it is, is just empty chatter. And then he says, he says that they are profane and idle babblings and contradictions. Contradictions, they're also that. Now, this word is used to describe two things that are usually laid down beside each other that oppose each other. When you lay them beside each other, you should see that they're not the same. One of these things is not like the other. There we go again. Um, That's what this is all about. So what they're calling knowledge, what they're calling truth, actually contradicts real knowledge and real truth, is what he's saying. What they're calling knowledge. And he says, says, contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. Now, the old King James has the word science there. But it's not science like we use the word science like 500 years later after that was written. The Greek word is gnosis. Um, And it means knowledge. Falsely called gnosis. What he's dealing with here is probably an early form. You need to know this. Gnosis. Is an early form of what became known as Gnosticism. Have you heard of that? A lot of the stuff that came out in that movie, The Da Vinci Code, and those lost books of the Bible weren't lost at all. The early church fathers knew about those books. Those were Gnostic writings. 
There were Gnostics who tried to write their own Gospels. Gnostic Gospels. And that's what a lot of those are, and they're false teaching. But you see, now we're so clever in our day, we're trying to come up with this whole thing of, wait a minute, there were lost books of the Bible, that there was this conspiracy to keep them out of the Bible. No, there wasn't. The only conspiracy was, what have we always been taught? From Jesus through the apostles to now. Not that. When they finally were able to come together at the Council of Nicaea, they couldn't come together before then, because before then, if they got together, Romans would have killed them. But after Constantine's supposed conversion, he made it safe and guaranteed safety for ministers, pastors to come together. And one of the first things they did was, what have we always considered the sacred scriptures of the New Testament? Not let's vote and see what we want in there. It's what has always been considered. And that's what they did. And and all of these Gnostic Gospels had been rejected a long time ago. They were false teaching. Because the Gnostics, they were a weird bunch of people, but they can't... Already, already they're cropping up in the early church. And that's what he's dealing. In fact, Colossians was written to deal with Gnosticism, a lot of it. They were a group who claimed to have knowledge. Get this. They had a special knowledge. Gnosis. Paul says it's false. But they claimed to have a special knowledge that everybody else didn't have. They had it from visions and other experiences. See, not scripture. They didn't get it from scripture. Their knowledge they got from some experience that they would have. Okay? Got to watch out about that. They also claimed to be able to find hidden truths in the Old Testament scriptures. Even especially in the genealogies. And Paul talks about arguments over genealogies and stuff like that. You remember we talked about that? That's part of it. You know, there's this guy that stops by and talks to me every now and then, and he's all caught up in teaching that is just, oh, it's just all messed up with stuff. They're always trying to find some secret code, some hidden thing in the Old Testament, something right there. And I'm kind of like others have said, there's enough clearly to understand stuff in the Bible to keep me busy the rest of my life without looking for hidden stuff that's not even really there. But they want to find, so they can make their own teaching about something, you know. Um, and and it's, it's crazy. Anything that happens on the news, they'll find some hidden code in here that, that's, that means this, that, and something else. Watch out about that junk. Stick with the scriptures, all right? Don't add to it like that. So that's what the Gnostics did. They, they had special knowledge. They claimed to have hid, found hidden truths in the Old Testament. And one of the weird things is they considered all matter, all physical matter to be evil. So it's like the physical is evil, but the spiritual's good. And there was some weird things happen there. You have one group that kind of goes, and you know, and well, we'll kind of let the body go because it's just material. That's what it's going to do. But there were others that took a legalistic approach and all types of legalism and asceticism and all kinds of things like that. They actually punished their body. They wouldn't let themselves eat certain things and do certain things. They were very legalistic. So you have a mixture of all these things in Gnosticism, and that's what he's dealing with here. And I'm only pointing this out because you have so many forms of it that are still out there today. The Gnostics actually believed and taught that a series of emanations connected God with man, and Jesus Christ, they said, was only the greatest of these emanations. That's what they taught. They actually had a doctrine that was a strange mixture of Christianity, Oriental mysticism, Greek philosophy, and Jewish legalism. It was a mixture of all of those things. And like even a lot of the the beliefs we have today, it seemed to offer something for everyone. Many paths, right? 
Isn't that the popular thing today? But Paul summarized everything that they taught in one devastating phrase. Profane and vain babblings. That's everything they're teaching. Phillips in his translations renders, he says this, he renders it the godless mixture of contradictory notions. That's what their teaching was. See, that's why. Are you with me still? That's why we always need to run to and stand on and stick with Scripture. Because we have this tendency to subconsciously, even when we don't realize it, we kind of want to go with what we feel. That just feels right. That, how about this? That just seems to make sense. It seems logical. We want to go with that because we're, our flesh is comfortable with that, but we think it's the Holy Spirit, but it's really the flesh. Our relationship with God is based not on what we feel. It's based on our faith. It's based on our faith. That is faith in the accurately interpreted and applied word of God. You can put faith in something that is false. Do you know that? You sure could. People do it every day. Sometimes it's easy to mistake, and many want to mistake, feeling for faith or logic for faith. And then they just run and grab enough scripture to make them think that it backs it up, when in reality they've taken it out of context or twisted it to try to fit what they want to believe. So you've got to be careful. That's why you've got to guard this. This is what's happening all the time in the church, especially. So why? Why should Timothy avoid these teachings? Well, he told us right there. Look at it. Verse 21. Because by professing it, some have strayed concerning the faith. The faith meaning not just trusting in Jesus because they're beginning to trust in other things, but that body of truth that's been handed down to us. They've, they've strayed from the, the treasure, that which was committed to us. The faith, the teachings, the truth. In, uh, first, uh, in verse 21, he says that, um, we found out in verse 10 that because of the love of money and all this other stuff and the wrong motives and a desire for greed, he says that, that some have uh, strayed from the faith. Did you see that in verse 10? Are you looking at it? Chapter 6. And, and then he says here, because of false teaching, some have strayed concerning the faith. So are you listening? Get this. Not only will wrong motives... A desire for money, a desire for greed, whatever. Not only will wrong motives cause a person to wander from the faith, verse 10, but so will wrong teachings, verse 21. Both those things are brought out here. These lies work their way into your mind and heart gradually, and before you realize it, you've strayed off the path of truth. You don't think you have, but you have. So, all right, let's bring it together. We've got to know what's worth fighting for. If you're going to guard it, you're going to have to avoid some things, but it also implies that you're going to have to stand guard. There may be some battles, right? Know what's worth the essentials of the faith. That's worth dying to protect. The essentials. See, there are some things that you have to believe and know and understand and believe in order to be saved. There are some other things that, I mean, there's some black and white, there is some, there are some gray. There are some non-essentials also non-essential preferences that are adaptable unless they are spelled out by Scripture, they're adaptable. Our problem is stuff that isn't spelled out by Scripture, we get more stuck on than things that are. True? Our way of doing it. That's the way we've always done it. Listen to this. 
essentials. Are you ready? Like Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. (coughs) Excuse me, that's worth dying for. That's worth fighting for. Salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That was the call of the Reformation. That's what the early church believed. That was the cry during the Reformation to get back to the truth. Salvation by faith alone, through grace alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. We should be willing to die fighting on that hill. Also essentials like the inspiration of Scripture. The Word of God is infallible and authoritative. Humanity is sinful. Right? Got to stick on that one. You know, we're finding out. And one of the ways when we teach kids that come in here is, you know, I've, I've said this several times, how a lot of times people say, well, I just want to love them and care for them and minister to them, and I want to let them know how much God loves them. Well, to a lot of them, it's not going to make sense because they're smart enough to look around and see how messed up their life is. And they see not everybody's life is that way. And when you start telling them, we just want you to know God loves you, they would say, how? I don't see it. If God loves me, why did this happen? Some have been abused. Some have been molested. Some, you know, things like that. There's people out there, you know. So one of the, maybe the first things we need to teach is that God gave us a will and that we sin and the curse of sin came on our flesh, came on this world, and that because of sin, and, and it's devastating. But he came to redeem us because he loves us out of that sin. So you've got to talk about sin because they see it. Humanity is sinful. How about this one? God is holy. Jesus is God. See, these are all non-negotiables, and I could keep going, right? But then there are some things, are you still in there? Huh, you ready? There are some things that are non-essential. There are some things that are negotiable. Like whether we sing three songs or four. Whether we sing all four verses or skip the third one. That's negotiable. The Bible doesn't tell us anything about that. Whether we receive the offering at the beginning, middle, or end of the service. You can do it any way you want. It doesn't tell us. Whether we sit, whether we stand, whether we dim a few lights to help people with concentration or not. It doesn't matter. The style of music. Heard Dr. Harry Reeser say, there is nothing moral or amoral or anything about a musical note. It just is. See, when I was growing up, there were certain tunes and melodies. Ooh, that's so, that, 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 just that melody, this sequence of notes, the way they're arranged has got to be of the devil. When we don't know that even some of our classic hymns came from melodies that were first sung in bars and pubs. Right? Amazing Grace. Sorry to bust your bubble there. But melody is just melody. Musical notes are musical notes. I'd like to hear what David and all of those crazy instruments that I don't even know what all of them are sounded like. Man, when they all come together with hundreds and maybe thousands of them lifting up praise to God in the Old Testament. And here we're supposed to be spirit-filled the New Testament and we just can't get much out. Right? But we can do it however we want. In some churches, changing anything like that is treated more severely than denying the Trinity. Right? It is. See, we've got to distinguish between absolutes and non-absolutes. Absolutes, are you with me? Absolutes are sourced in Scripture. And they never change. They remain the same from age to age, culture to culture, time to time, all of it. 
But non-absolutes can change. In fact, are designed to change and flex with culture, personal taste, and tradition. But without altering or messing with the essentials. We can't allow non-essential ideas and preferences to be elevated above the essentials. Too often we do. So here's what we're trying to say. What he told Timothy, guard that which was committed to you. The deposit, the treasure, the, the truth, it never changes. The way we guard it does. Think about evangelism. Okay? The message of evangelism, of, of the gospel, of salvation through Christ, and sharing the gospel with others, the message never changes. It hasn't changed since the first day till now. But even in our daily week of life, it changes. Sometimes the message may be presented from the pulpit by me. That's the method. Sometimes it might be shared by you at work over a conversation and a sandwich during lunch break. You share the same message. Or it may be sitting at a ball game with a buddy. Or it may be with a relative or a friend over a cup of coffee. See, there are a lot of different ways you approach doing the same thing. So, the deposit never changes the way we guard it may. The Savior we worship never changes. But we do have freedom in our style of worship. It's not spelled out. Come on. And I do believe that. You know, oh my child, I heard, you know, we got to speak where the Bible speaks and be silent where the Bible is silent. But a lot of times we were speaking a lot where the Bible really didn't say much. You know? And, and, and that's the main thing we talked about. We, we can do things a lot of different ways. You can sit. You can stand. You can kneel. You can pray with your eyes shut. You can even pray with your eyes open. You can have your hands up. You can have your hands down. You can have your hands in your pocket. God doesn't care. Right? You can use no musical instruments whatsoever in just our voices. Or you can use a whole orchestra. As long as the purpose is the same. See? He doesn't give any specific instructions. Yay or nay. You can sing in harmony. You can sing in unison. Doesn't matter. If you've got the essential right. He gives us freedom. Do you know he actually gives us freedom with a lot of things? Do you know the New Testament doesn't really tell us that you have to be like ordained clergy to baptize someone? Doesn't. Doesn't. And he gives us freedom around the Lord's table as well. He doesn't necessarily in there even tell us who has to administer or serve it. Did you know that? He doesn't tell us. He just tells us the way we need to get our heart prepared and what it is. Or even how often. He says, as often as you just I think we need to do it a lot more often than we are. Amen? And we're going to. But, but you know, a lot of those, it's, you can do it. You can sit and everybody can come by and pass. Or we can all come up. We can do how, however. He doesn't spell it out. But sometimes it's over stuff like that. That we get more bent out of shape than the essentials. We need to keep things in scriptural perspective, folks. And you're going to need to tell me that as I get older, probably. Right? Oh. We need to know the difference between essentials and non-essentials. Between absolutes and non-absolutes. And that's why he's encouraging Timothy to guard that treasure. Now let's wrap it up. Are you ready? 
Okay, I'll keep going. <laughs> Let's wrap it up here in conclusion. Let's get this. Did you notice he said the last thing is grace be with you. Amen. This takes God's grace. So you're going to see that here. First of all, as we wrap this up, our message is fixed and unchangeable. Amen. The message is unchangeable, but not our methods. Unless they're spelled out by Scripture, they're adaptable. And, and so I hear more people getting bent out of shape just about that than anything else. Did you know it doesn't even tell us in the New Testament that when you're supposed to even gather, we find that the church was mostly Jewish in the early part of the book of Acts. They were still meeting on the Sabbath. But by the end of the book of Acts and in the letters that Paul wrote that they were meeting on the first day of the week because they were mostly Gentile. But it doesn't tell us that you have to do it that way. Did you know the Bible doesn't tell us we have to meet three times a week, twice on Sunday and once on Wednesday? It doesn't say that. So here's the deal. We can do whatever works best here to accomplish the non-negotiables, the essentials. We can do. But a lot of times we get crippled by ourselves because we're hung up on other things. As we, per, as we preserve biblical truth, as we guard it, as we teach it, as we preach it, and as we live it, let us do so with all the creativity and flexibility that God allows. Secondly, our mandate is to defend the truth. Defend the truth, not offend people. Now, having said that, Scripture tells us the message of the cross will be offensive to some simply because they refuse to believe the truth. Let the cross do the offending, not you. And I see that today. Christians are many times intolerant and offensive. They are offensive. It's not necessarily the message, it's them. And a lot of the attitude the world has, we bring on ourselves. I want the cross and the truth of God. If it offends, so be it. I'm going to defend the truth. But if it's just me and my argument, I'm not going to be me offending. So if the truth offends, fine. Just don't let it be us. And thirdly, our manner is to be loving and full of grace. The last thing he says is grace be with you. Amen. Our manner. He even said in 1 Peter, when you're defending the truth and giving an answer for the reason you have faith, to do it with meekness, to do it with kindness, to do it with humility. That our manner is to be loving and full of grace, not condescending and argumentative. You may win an argument, but you lose the soul. See? This is how we guard the truth. And we stand up for it. And we've got to discern those things. And that's what he's calling Timothy to do. And he's still calling the church to do today. Now, do you believe those truths with all of your heart? Do you know the truth? If you don't, we've got so many opportunities to plug in and go through the essentials of the faith and get rooted and grounded. But you know what? It doesn't matter what we offer here and how many classes, how much teaching. It's up to you to, to take advantage of it. You know, I can offer a class on, on the holiness of God, the eternity of God, the trinity, uh, trying nature of God, the deity of Christ and all that. And nobody really cares to show up until you have somebody knocking on your door saying something else and all of a sudden, pastor, I need these verses and I need to help me, right? So sometimes it's a need-to-know basis, but why not learn it ahead of time, right? Why not be ready? Let's be ready, amen? Let's guard the truth. Let's stand up for it. Let's avoid the faults. Let's be committed here, all right, to what is essential. And let's be creative in every way we can 
to protect it and proclaim it. Father, help